All right. I, um, I said last night as well, I was like, now I know how absolutely uncomfortable it was for Brian and Ron and um, for Tommy as, um, you know, I'm like, all right. So, but thank you. I love you. I hate this weekend every year, but I, um, I'm like, I do. I just, um, I love doing honor. It's more fun. Don't you reckon? Like, you know, but, um, but I do love that we have a church that, um, that understands honor. And so, um, do me a favor though, if you would, um, it'd be a crying shame, wouldn't it? If we just honored up at this church and we never honored down and all around. So, you know, look after each other. You know, if someone needs help, help them. But did you know you don't, there doesn't have, you know, like, I, I love Pastor Tommy's thing, find a need and fill it. I love that. Um, but I'd hate it if that's all we ever did. And we're like, well, there's no need, so there's no opportunity to honor anybody. Do you know what I mean? Like, just, I would say find a person and honor them. You know? And so, you know, keep that in mind as well. And remember the rest of our staff, too. Because the truth is that um, I don't do much. No, I like anymore. Like vision, get beat up a little bit, and um, and prepare the word. So don't forget the rest of the staff who do everything else. So if you're like, I could, it was I was blown away when I realized, oh, we did this whole honor thing in Pastor Appreciation Month. That was completely accidental. I didn't even know until I think three days ago. Rob told me I was like, oh, hello. But uh, so honor the staff here. If you've got some money burning a hole in your pocket, write one of your favorite staff members a check to dinner or something like that. Take them out for coffee, whatever. Um, just make sure that this is not one of those churches that just is all about one person. It's about all of us together, honoring each other, encouraging each other, loving the Lord together, and growing together. Amen? <laughs> right? Yeah. Awesome. So uh, if you're new, welcome to church. My name is Jesse, as Pastor Rob said before. And uh, glad that you're here. Welcome to our friends in Audubon and Allwine, our other campuses. And welcome everyone online. I want to say to you, if you're online and you're not sick or out of town or your car didn't break down, um, don't be lazy. Come to church at, um, at 10.30, okay? So log off and make the drive, okay? And so um, you can, you're not the church at home, okay? You're not. That's a lie. Um, you're the church when we're together. That's the church. Um, you're a believer at home, and that's awesome. Uh, but, um, but come to church, okay? So, because we're gonna we're gonna have a time together at the end of this service that you'll find out about when you come to the 10:30 service. So, uh, anyway, um, all that to say is, I'm I'm ready to preach. So, um, um, just stay standing till I finish the word. I'm gonna go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 12 to 16. Uh, you can go there in your Bibles. And um, uh, just let me set that up for you. Um, um, we're, we're right now in about in our sermon series, which we're not in today. We're going off topic, but in our sermon series, walking through Genesis, I think we're up to like Genesis 26 or 27. Uh, and then, um, and then a few few years later, many years later, actually, the Israelites moved to Egypt in search of food and grain and supplies and things like that because the whole region is in a drought, right? And then they're there for 400 years, okay. And so, and then so 400 years later, God delivers his people. Moses leads the people of Israel 
out of slavery, out of captivity, out of Egypt. And there's this great sense of excitement. There's also dread and fear. Uh, there's a great sense of hope. There's also uh, feelings of hopelessness. Uh, emotions and behaviors, the emotions and behaviors of the Israelites are up, down, all around and all over the place. Uh, and then Moses is up the mountain having an incredible encounter with God. Um, when he comes down from the mountain uh, uh, with the golden, sorry, not with the gold, with the tablets uh, that God had written the law on, then, then he sees that the Israelites, uh, led by his brother Aaron, had created a golden calf to worship instead of God, okay? Um, and I find that fascinating because that, that Aaron is the guy that God started the priesthood through. Okay, so the priesthood uh, in Jewish tradition has to go through Aaron and the Levites. Aaron was a Levite, right? And they've got to go through that. Uh, And so he was the first one that started it all. And this guy who was the first priest of Israel, um, on the first opportunity he had to lead the show, he creates a whole other God for everybody to worship, you know? It would be like me saying, look, Rob, you're in charge when I'm not around, and the first time I go on vacation, I come back and you're all, uh, you know, Islamic now, you know? And it's like, what what the heck? We, and, you know, and somehow God still uses that guy, right? It's crazy. So Moses comes down, they're all worshiping a whole other God now. <clears throat> he gets mad as a cut snake, throws the tablets that God had created for him, um, and he deals with Israel. A whole bunch of them die by the sword. And then after that, God tells them, it's time to move on from Sinai. I have a land flowing with milk and honey for you, right? Uh, and then Moses goes to intercede for the Israelites with God. And that's where we pick up in verse 12 of 33. It's the start of 33 that God's like, all right, y'all, we're, we're heading out of here now. Let's go to the land of milk and honey. Uh, and verse uh, 12 of 33 um, it says Moses said to the Lord see you say to me bring up this people but you have not let me know whom you will send with me now Moses knows who he wants God to send with him he's being coy here you know what I mean like it'd be like me saying to, to, to Ian you know like you say you love me but you haven't I haven't seen anybody having coffee with me you know, and what I want Ian to do is be like, I'll have coffee with you, gosh. You know what I mean? And so Moses has been all coy with God. He's like, you say that you love me, but, but like you haven't told me who's coming with me if I go on <clears throat> this journey, you know. Um, it says, yet you have said, I know you by name and, uh, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that these people are your people. And God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to them, and then Moses, sorry, then replied, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up out of this place. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight And I and your people, um, is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. Church, it is the presence of God that will make you distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. Amen. That if you would understand and pursue and live in the presence of God, it will be obvious to 
everybody else on the face of the earth that God is with you, that God is for you, that God is mighty in power, amen, and that He can do all things, amen. And so we need to understand the presence of God. So, so let's pray today. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we read Your Word, as we study Your ways, that You would help us to receive all that you have planned to do in each and every one of us today. As our friend Pastor Ron said, we pray that you would speak to us about you and about us today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody say amen. amen. Awesome. You may high five your neighbor and take a seat. Look your neighbor in the eye and say, look at me, look at me. That's uh, look at me, but in Australia, look at me, look at me, from a TV show, all right, look at me. Don't you just love the heart of Moses in that moment? I'm not going to go anywhere without your presence, God. I'm not going to go anywhere without your presence, God. More now than ever before, I feel how Moses felt that day. I I don't want to do this without God's presence. I don't want to preach to you if God's not going to be with me. I, I, don't, I, don't want to, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to go to another leadership meeting if God's not going to be there. I, I don't want to prepare a sermon if God's not in it. I, I don't want to see this church grow. I, I just If God's not in the growth, then keep me small. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I don't want it if God's not in it. I feel like Moses did now more than... Ever before, I just love his presence. So today I'm preaching a message for you on the presence of God, on the presence of God. One day a few months ago, I woke up totally exhausted and completely overwhelmed. It was sudden. It was bizarre. It had never happened to me quite like that before. See, we had a lot going on a few months ago, and we had a lot going on. Uh, We had been, prior to that, living on a farm for five months as our house was being renovated. We moved back into our house after a huge renovation. It was actually bigger than we initially expected. Um, you know, a lot more work and a, a bit longer because because um, it was a huge hailstorm last year that seemed to destroy the entire exterior of our home. Um, you know, it, it, like to give you an idea of how much damage was done, it was like nearly $150,000 damage that insurance ended up covering on the exterior of our house. And it wasn't that big because we found storm chasers that could, you know, could invent damage for us, you know, I I can't stand that, Um, but actually the insurance guy coming, and so there was a lot of extra work that initially wasn't really factored into my mind for timing and stuff like that, and it was clear in the builder's mind that that had to happen, uh, and communicated to us in the end, but when we initially started talking about it, we weren't really thinking we're going to do that as well, and so that, that was going on, and there was a lot happening here at church as well. We were in the planning stages of our Heroes of the Faith Month, and that was a pretty big deal. You know, we did have two of the most well-known or famous, I hate using that word, but two of the most famous preachers from the entire world here in um, October, and we had to plan for that. There was also my childhood pastor, and we had to, uh, I just felt a need to, um, to honor him uh, just above and beyond anything I could have possibly done alone. Um, and I was working really hard on our bold campaign. If you're new to our church, that's our plans for a new building because we are growing, 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 growing. Um, you know, and we've been growing really fast, quite rapidly. I was actually talking, Brian Houston pointed out to me when he was here, um, 
that, um, that I've been talking about how, you know, we've grown, you know, before the pandemic, we we're like eight or 900, and now on a weekend, there might be, I don't know, 1,300 or something, and, you know, that's, you know, we've, you know, added 50% or something, and he goes, yeah, but that's not really the growth pain you've had to go through, is it? And I was like, trying to, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, really, we've, we've talked about how during the pandemic, when we were one of the first churches to open, if not the first church to open, we lost a lot of people that weren't really happy with us, um, then also we felt the Lord lead us to be bolder and uh, more vocal. Uh, and I guess, honestly, the word would be more honest about our faith and the things that we believe in an uncomfortable world. So speaking on topics like marriage, abortion, gender, things like that, finances, uh, relationships, just things from a purely biblical standpoint. And if it's uncomfortable for the world, preach it anyway, right? Uh, do it in love, but, but, but preach it anyway. And, and so really our church got down to about 200 and something people uh, in that season. And uh, so really we've grown from about that all the way up to about 1,300 bums in seats on a weekend. And, it's, um, and so that, that growth is fast, it's rapid, right? And, so, and it demands a lot from uh, not just myself, but from our team as well. Um, and so we've been dealing with that. Uh, plus regular church stuff, right? Got to hire people, got to manage uh, teams, provide vision, direction, uh, cover, got to pray for people, got to keep people undercover. Um, and, uh, and in the middle of all that, I purchased another rental property and two days later it burned down. And so uh, there was a lot going on. And um, <clears throat> now, but, but you know, I was handling it like an absolute pro, right? Like, I, I was like, I got this, you know what I mean? Come on, you know what I'm talking about, you've been there. You're like, man, there is no end to the number of bowls that I can keep in the air, right? Like, I throw that up, I catch this, yeah, you're good, just, you know, like I was doing it like a pro, things were going awesome, there's no number of important things that I cannot simultaneously be awesome at, or at least that's how I thought, and then one day I woke up and... My ball fell, and I'm like, ah! And then, I felt like everything just landed on the ground, and I was like, I'm done, I'm tired, ah! And uh, the good thing is, though, straight away, I knew exactly what I needed to do. Almost as quick as the exhaustion and anxiety came, so did the word of the Lord, uh, that I need to spend more time with God, that I need to spend more time in the presence of God. And effectively, God was saying, Jesse, look at me. Look at me. See, in all the crazy, uh, I was spending less, not none, but just less time with God. And I feel like I'd always spent, uh, you know, at least top 5% of the people in our church relationships with God. You know what I mean? I'm like, I've got to be up there with the top, you know, because I'm leading this thing. And um, so, you know, so at the worst, I was like top 5%, and I'm like proud of myself. I'm like, I'm still praying more than she is, you know what I mean, or more than he is, and you know, whatever else, and um, uh, I'm still doing it. I, I was still reading my Bible every day. I was praying a little bit every day, but the habit that I had had of spending time with Jesus throughout the day had all but disappeared. And God has called me to lead this church from a place of strength in his word, in his spirit, in his presence. And so Jesus was saying to me, Jesse, look at me, look at me. And the answer to the state of my mind was in the presence of God. So I took a few days off. I spent almost every waking hour of the day in the word, in prayer, and in worship to reset myself spiritually. Um, <clears throat> 
and I came back more in love with his word, his ways, and his presence, actually this time than ever before. Something about getting, Dah, and then when you, know, when you hear the word of the Lord and you do it straight away, you just come back and you're like, man, I love the presence of God. I love the word of the Lord. You know, anybody else been there? So today I want to talk to you about the presence of God and how being more mindful of his presence is the answer to all the anxieties and the fears and the chaos in and around your life. I'll share with you um, how I used to, and praise God, do again live daily more mindful of God's presence. And so the title of my sermon, as you've guessed, is Look at Me. Today I believe the Lord is saying that to each and every one of you right now. He's just calling your name and he's saying, look at me, look at me. See, we have a lot going on in this world, don't we? We have a war in Ukraine. We have war in Israel, and we pray for peace in Israel. But we have war in Ukraine. We have war in Israel. This week, we bombed targets in Syria. Everything in our lives is more expensive. Simple things that used to be so clear in our culture have now become confusing in our world. The truth is being clouded by the enemy. Uh, wrong is constantly portrayed as good. Our political parties absolutely hate each other. On top of that, you still got to lead your family. You still have to go to work. You still have your friends. You still got rent to pay or a mortgage to keep up with. And in the middle of all that, we can pray for all that, but in the middle of all that, God still has peace for you. In the middle of all that, God still has wisdom for you. God still has strength for you that... That, that, that we can pray for Israel, for peace in Jerusalem, as Scripture tells us to, but he can also, at the same time, bring peace into your heart. Amen? If we can learn to value his presence and look at him in the midst of it all, we can not only survive the chaos, but we can thrive in the midst of it. Amen? So what is the presence of God? What is that? If you've got your pens and notebooks ready, I want you to write this down. Okay, if you don't have your notebook with you, um, you do have a phone, and your phone has an app, a note-taking app. Uh, I think it was Pastor Ron when I was a child. I, I can't remember if it was him exactly, but, um, but said to me once, the best way to value somebody else's time and preparation is to come with a notebook. It shows the person that I value the effort you put into preparing what you, I value the time that you've made available to me right now. And so I brought a notebook with me because I'm expecting that there's something that you're going to say that might be worth uh, taking away with me this week. And uh, so I want to encourage you to do that for every preacher, teacher, um, if you ever Uh, find yourself in need of wisdom and you ask a friend to come and help you, to meet with you, and you don't go with a notebook, I think you're looking for a vent, not a solution, not not wisdom, you know what I mean? And so, um, so don't be a venter, be a wisdom seeker, amen? Wisdom seekers bring notebooks and write down the stuff that the people... Now, I'm not saying that to be self-serving, like, y'all need to... It doesn't do anything for me. You, you, I, what, what does you taking a note do for me? Nothing. But it, it'll do something for you, because if you believe that God's going to speak through you today, it, it can help you on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday if you take a note. So, <clears throat> so if you've got your notepads, get ready to write these three things down there are three categories of God's presence, okay? Number one, there's God's omnipresence, there's his manifest presence, and there's his personal presence. So what is God's omnipresence? He is everywhere at all times. He is everywhere at all 
times. Romans 1.10, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Um, what Paul's saying here is that, that no one in the world has an excuse because God has clearly displayed his invisible attributes from the creation of the world, right? Um, He's everywhere and he's in all things and all things were made through him. That is, if you are seeking God, you will find God, okay? Now, if you're seeking a God created in your image, he won't reveal himself to you, okay? And so the idea that that, you know, people say, well, is it fair that someone who doesn't know God and never was told about him would go to hell for not believing in him? Yes, it is fair. Why? His invisible nature and divine attributes have been clearly displayed since the beginning of the earth. And if somebody looks with an objective mind and says, man, I want to know God. Is there a God? I want to know God. And they're willing to say, whoever he is, I will serve him. He will reveal himself to that person. If, however, they say, I want to know God. If there's a God, and as long as he affirms this or believes that or acts like this or does that, as long as I can behead people, do you know what? Well, then he won't reveal himself to that person because you're not looking for God. You're looking for an image that is created to suit your desires and your needs. You're only seeking God if you're seeking whoever he is, is the only way you're seeking God. You hear what I'm saying? That's what Romans 1.20 is talking about. Jeremiah 23.24, do I not feel the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on evil and good. God is everywhere at all times. That's his omni presence. You cannot run away from God. You cannot escape God. He will be where you run to at the same time as he is where you ran from. Amen. He's omnipresent. Then there's God's manifest presence. He is powerful and he manifests his power at certain times. Those moments that you walk away like Jacob did. Jacob um, was on his way to his grandfather's uh, old land um, and, uh, and when he's on his way there, he has an encounter with God, uh, and then uh, and afterwards he says, surely the presence of God is in this place, this, the tangible, the manifest presence of God. This is none other than the house of the Lord. And um, uh, this is when you, this is, you know, often the manifest presence of God might be when you use the supernatural gifts that God has given you. Uh, the Holy Spirit working through you, you're prophesying over someone is another example. Uh, it doesn't seem like you're out there, you know, and there's some big fire from heaven light, lighting wet uh, steak on an altar, but, um, but, but God speaking through you is a manifestation of the presence of God by his power, um, the Holy Spirit working in through big and small. And there's God's personal presence. He is far away and he is close at hand at all times. He's here while he's also over there. <clears throat> um, he, he's, he's everywhere, but, but he's not here just because he's everywhere. He's here because he's with me. Amen? Uh, in my life, I seek him and I find him. When I seek him with all my heart, I'll feel his presence in my life. My life changes as I live more mindful of his presence and his leading in my life. Okay? So let me unpack that for you a little bit. As Moses became more mindful of the presence of God in his life, he realized that the solution to all his fears and his anxieties were in God's presence, okay? Both personal and manifest uh, presence of God was where the solutions 
light in his life. Uh, he spent time with God and it changed him in ways that everybody could see. He was literally glowing in the dark, kind of like uh, any, any white boy at the end of an Iowa winter, right? <clears throat> just, just glowing in the dark, right? Um, that's why I vacation in Arizona, try and get rid of that glow, you know? But, um, but Moses was glowing. He had to put a veil over his face when he was done sharing what the Lord had said. And as he walked away, he walked away with wisdom and he walked away with power. But what I love the most about Moses' experience in the presence of God is in Exodus chapter 33, God has just promised to take the Israelites to a land that flows with milk and honey. A land that, that, that was a saying, so there was milk, there was honey, but the saying was implying it's a land that has all the resources that you could ever want in your life, okay? And so, and I love that Moses' response to, hey, over there is everything you could ever want. Let me take you there. Let, 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 like, go there. It's time to get up and go over there. That, that Moses' response is, I ain't going unless you come with me. I'm not going there unless you go there with me. I love that Moses was, Moses' goal was more than milk and more than honey, but to be in the presence of God everywhere all the time, amen? He didn't just want milk and honey. He didn't want just want resources and stuff in Canaan, but a holy people in a holy land with a holy God. See, when you spend more time in the presence of, when you live more aware and are more mindful of God's presence, you will quickly come to love the giver more than the gift. You will quickly come to love God and his presence more than the stuff that he can give you. You'll quickly come to love God and his presence more than the things that he does around you. When you value the presence of God, you will love the giver more than the gift. You won't have to choose to love the giver more than the gift. You will just begin to love the presence of God more than the things he can do for you, amen? King David loved the Lord's presence so much that after repenting of great sin and selfishness, his greatest fear was not being shamed by the world. His greatest fear was not losing his kingdom. It was not even losing his family. It was being cast out from God's presence. As we read from Psalm 51, which apparently I did not mark in my Bible beforehand. There we go. As we read from Psalm 51, I'm going to read uh, from verse 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip over to 10. Uh, this is when Nathan the prophet went to him, all right? So Nathan the prophet comes up and says, hey, bro, you messed up big time, right? Um, when, when, when he realizes the, the, the weight of his sin, his response is, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 10, God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will come back to you. What an incredible proclamation that he's making. David messed up. 
brutally. He slept with someone that was not his wife, but not only that, he tried to cover it up and killed a man in battle to cover up his own sin. And the fear of it was not that, 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 that people would find out. It was not that it would get in the, in the local press. It was not that everybody's going to be talking about him. And go, No, 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 no. His greatest fear was, was, was not getting to live in the presence of God anymore. He loved the presence of God so much that missing out on that was what he feared the most. And in humility, he came back into the personal presence of God and he repents and he recognizes and he says, Lord, let me stay with you. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. And he realizes that someone who repents God can still very much use them to teach others the ways of God. So don't give up. Just come back and start living more mindful of God's presence. I don't know what you've done in your life, but take David's, uh, David's example to your heart and realize that no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter where you, what you've seen, listen to me, right now, God can still use you. As we repent and start living more mindful of his presence, you will help see other sinners turn back to God. Amen. But there is another story in scripture about a guy who messed up, but unlike David, he had to experience the pain and suffering that comes from being cast out of God's presence when we continue to live unaware of and without any concern for the presence of God. Samson took the presence of God in his life for granted. He was not mindful of the giver, he only loved the gift. He enjoyed the incredible power of the manifest presence of God in his life. There was this one time where his Philistine father-in-law gave his wife away to another man, another man, uh, and wouldn't let him come back and take her. And by the way, that in and of itself was him living in ignorance. No, not ignorance. That was him ignoring the known command of God that he would not take a wife from among the Philistines, right? So he's already saying, well, I got all this power. I'm gonna just do what I want. This power, this manifestation of the presence of God in my life has given me great power to do whatever I want. And so that's what he went and did. Anyway, so after that, when they wouldn't let him have his wife back, he catches 300 foxes and ties their tails together in pairs. Um, and, uh, and, and then in the middle of their tails, he, he, he attaches flaming torches to their tails, sets them loose in the Philistines' fields and burns all their food and grain. Now, before you move on, it's always good to stop and just ask yourself, who comes up with that plan? <clears throat> like, I don't even know who's like, man, you really offended me, I'm gonna catch foxes. Burn your house down, you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Like, I don't even know how to catch a fox anyway. Like, I know how to shoot a fox. I've shot hundreds of foxes, but I've never caught one and tried tying its tail together. Some of you all are horrified right now. In Australia, foxes are a pest, and there was actually a season when it was illegal to be out shooting, have a gun in your hand, and see a fox and not shoot it. That's how much of a pest they are. So all you hear, like, oh, foxes. No, 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 they're evil, little, nasty things in Australia, and they've got to get rid of them, all right? And so we had to shoot them. I was obeying the law. What you want me to do, break the law? Come on now, right? So I shoot them. Never in my, never did it cross my mind though to tie them together, like you tie their tail, attach a flame to it and go, go burn down someone's house, right? This guy's crazy. Anyway, fast forward a little bit, the Philistines get mad, they're like, we got to kill this guy, he is causing way too much problems. 
So they come out to kill him, but instead he finds the jawbone of a donkey on the ground and just kills a thousand men. The manifestation of the presence of God in his life was phenomenal. Anyway, fast forward for brevity's sake, and I know if you love this story, you'll be sad that I missed this bit, but I've got another point I've got to get to. Samson keeps doing the wrong thing, keeps um, taking God's commands and God's presence in his life for granted, okay? He's enjoying the manifest, but he's ignoring the personal. One day, because of his own foolishness, the Philistines come to attack him. And I'll read it to you from Judges 16, verse 20. It says that he awoke from his sleep and he said to himself, I'm going to go out um, as I did the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Imagine that. Thinking you're going to just keep living how you're living. And one day you wake up and you need the manifestation of the presence of God in your life. But God has left you. This is like the worship leader who goes out to bars and clubs and behaves in all sorts of ungodly ways on Saturday night. Gets away with it too for weeks, maybe for months, maybe for years. But one day they get up on stage to lead worship and something is different. Something feels strange. I don't feel something new, but it's new to feel nothing at all. What is happening right now? And then in that moment, they realize, the Lord has left me. Eventually, the manifestation of the power of God will leave you until you get right with God. We cannot continue to neglect the personal and expect to experience the manifestation of the power of God. See, God is everywhere at all times. And God will do powerful things in certain places through certain people at certain times, absolutely. But also, God is with me. And His personal presence will never leave me. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. His personal presence will never leave me. Never leave me. This is the New Testament. The curtain is torn. He is with me. He promised to never leave me. He promised to never forsake me. But also, I have to actually live mindful of God's personal presence in my life. So how do we do that? How do we live more mindful of God's personal presence in our lives? Let's go on a little journey. We'll start in Thessalonians. In Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, he leaves them some final instructions. And among them, he says, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. This scripture has been subject of a little bit of debate over the years. Not as in, does it say that? Does it mean that? But how is that even possible, right? How do I always rejoice and how do I pray but without ceasing? How How do I do this? What does it mean? So let's put a bookmark in that. Write it down. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Write it down, put a bookmark in it, we'll come back to it. But let's think about that as we read John 15, 4. Jesus speaking about how we can bear a lot of fruit, not a little bit of fruit. Jesus talking about how you can have a whole lot of fruit in your life. Uh, He says to his disciples, abide in me and I in you. As As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Hear that? Abide in me and I in you. Right? Neither can you unless you abide in me. Okay? It's speaking of a dwelling place. 
abiding. This is where I abide. You, where you go, it's where you live. You, you go there a lot. You, you start each day there. You end each day there. Some of you go back there for lunch every day. Some of you go home to where you abide, to where you dwell, and then you go get groceries, or then you, and then you go home, and then you go to sport, and then you go home, and you go out for dinner, and then you go home again. If I was to look at my day as a whole bunch of moments, the dwelling place would be where I go in between all those moments. This is what it means to rejoice always. This is what it means to pray without ceasing, that I will come back to Jesus where I abide. I I will go home after every task. I will go home in between every moment. This is how I live mindful of the personal nature of the presence of God in my life. I go home. All day, every day, I just keep going home. I go out, I go home. I go to a meeting, then I go home. I have a fight with my wife, and then I go home. Uh, I meet with the architects, and then I go home. <laughs> I meet with Pastor Rob, then I go home. I read a book, and then I go home. I drive with my kids, I drive the kids to school, and then I go home. Sometimes I go home while I'm driving the kids to school, right? I'm living my life more mindful of the personal presence of God in my life. I'm not taking him for granted like Samson and then hoping that I can press a magical red button when I need the manifestation of the presence of God in my life to do something spectacular to get me out of trouble or help me in a situation. No, 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 no. I'm not gonna ignore him and then need him. I'm gonna need him and be mindful of him all the time. I love the presence of God and I feel it more. I feel the presence of God more as I live more mindful of him every day. There's an old Latin word for this, statio. In Christian tradition, it speaks of the stations of the cross. That is, the moments of the cross. What do I mean by that? Well, The stations of the cross, there's, well, first Jesus is condemned to death, and then the next station is that Jesus is made to bear the cross, then the next one is Jesus falls for the first time, and then then the next one is Jesus sees his mother, and so on and so forth, there's 16 of them, and they're called the stations of the cross. If you grew up Catholic, you're probably aware of the stations of the cross, right? So statio, in the Latin, it's those moments that we would take to observe the stations of the cross. Statio is those moments that we would take to stop and to look at Jesus. If you want to think about the personal presence of God, a little bit like that. I want you to think about the personal presence of God like that. It's the moments that are in between the moments that we stop to be mindful of and to look at Jesus. It's the moments between the moments, Statio. The moments between the moments. See, I dwell at my abide. I abide at my house. But I don't just abide at a place. I also abide with some people. I abide with Lauren. I wake up next to Lauren every single day. And I look over at her and I just think, wow. She's so lucky to wake up next to me. (laughs) I abide with Lauren. I wake up next to Lauren every day. I fall asleep next to her every day. 
I do the same with the Lord. I wake up and I read my Bible every day. I pray as I wake up. And I usually do the same at night as well. But waking up next to Lauren and falling asleep next to Lauren isn't really abiding with her, is it? That would just be abiding where she happens to abide. So we text each other throughout the day. Might be on my app, a little photo memory pops up and I just flick that off to her and she's like, has a laugh or whatever else, or she sends one to me or we just talk, how you doing, what you doing? We call each other, we talk to each other because we don't just abide near each other, we abide together. And if that's how Lauren and I operate and she's the second most important relationship in my life, how much more then should I abide in the Lord? Texting him throughout the day, so to speak. Checking in with him throughout the day. If he's my source, my strength, my peace, my courage, my provider, my wisdom, my healer, then I need to check in. I need to look at him throughout the day, giving him the moments between all the other moments. I want to begin to close with a quick story. And by begin to close, I mean I've got about a third of my sermon left, okay? A little bit less. And by a third, I mean... It's really less than that, but we're going to do something special at the end of this service, okay? I want to close with a story about Peter. Peter and the disciples were busy doing ministry, and Jesus is like, y'all go across the water over there, and I'll come pick you up. I don't know why this Jesus has an American accent, specifically a southern redneck American accent, but he does. And they go across the other side. Well, not to the other side. They're in the middle. And uh, a big storm begins to wage war against them. And the disciples are full of fear. Then Jesus begins to approach them on the boat. They're on the boat. Jesus is um, walking on the water in the middle of a storm. Peter sees Jesus and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, it is I, come. So Peter leaps out of the boat. I don't even know if he knows he was walking on water. He's just like, it's Jesus. And he gets out of the boat. And he's like, right? Starts walking over to Jesus. Scripture then shows us that Peter didn't start to sink until his focus shifted from Jesus to the storms. Now, a few things that are really quite amazing about this, firstly, and I think maybe most importantly, is you've got to understand something here. Peter did not say, Jesus, if it is you, tell me to walk on the water and I will. You notice that? See, we often use this story as an example of the powerful of the power of the manifest presence of God. He walked on water. That's not what Peter was after. Peter said, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. Tell me and I will come to you. Jesus, if that's you, over there, I want to be where you are. So tell me to come to you. See, what Peter wanted more than a walking on water miracle was just to be with Jesus. He didn't say, Jesus, if that's you, do a miracle. Jesus, if that's you, bring some light. Jesus, if that's you, come storm. Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come and I will. Jesus says, come. And Peter's like, get he up. And he just gets out there and he's walking on water. You know what's really funny about that though? He was just with Jesus. Like just then. He was just doing ministry with Jesus. And then Jesus is like, go over there. This is actually a moment in between the moments. He was doing ministry, now there's a gap and he wants to be with Jesus. And all Peter wanted in that moment between the moments is to just be with Jesus again. Peter's like a puppy dog. 
you ever had a puppy dog? And you're like, um, hey, pup. It's like, blah, 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 blah. And you leave for 30 seconds. And you come back and that dog is like, where have you been? Oh my gosh, I miss you so much. I miss you. I love you so much. Just never leave me again. <laughs> and you're like, crikey, dog. I was just in here 30 seconds ago. <clears throat> Peter was just like that with Jesus. And seeing him again, he's like, tell me to come to you. Tell me to come to you. I want to come to you, Jesus. I want to come to you. Jesus says, come, Peter. Peter walks on water. But then when his attention leaves Jesus, he's no longer focused on Jesus. When he's becoming less aware of Jesus and he gets hyper-focused on the storms around him. See, I, 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 I want to be hyper-focused on Jesus and just simply mildly aware of the storms. But when we get hyper-focused on the storms and we're like mildly, if even that, aware of Jesus, Peter begins to sink. That manifestation of the presence of God begins to disappear for a moment. See, God is everywhere and right here. He still does miracles. He still moves mightily. He still gives wisdom. He still calms storms. And we can be aware. And we need to be aware, I guess, of what's going on in Israel. And as believers, we got to pray for Israel. Bless Israel and God will bless us. Right? we got to be aware. But more than that, we've got to be aware of Him in me. You hear what I'm saying? More than Bido, more than Trump, You've got to be aware of Jesus in me. Today, Jesus is telling you, abide in me. Pray without ceasing in the moments between your moments. Stop and look at me. Love Jesus more than the stuff that he can do in you. It's really this simple. Love the personal presence of God more than the manifestation of the presence of God. See, everybody was looking for signs and Jesus said, well, more blessed is those who have never seen me but believe because they have faith. See, become more aware of the personal presence of God and any time the manifestation of the presence of God is needed in your life, it will be there. But if you live for the manifestation of the presence of God in your life, you'll be less aware of Jesus, everything he's doing in your life, Monday to Friday, and, and the anxieties will come and the fears will come and the storms will wage and one day you'll, you'll, you'll need to push the magic red button and it won't, you won't even be able to find the button. Look at me, he's saying. You ever had a conversation with your spouse and you're looking away, not really paying attention and they say, look at me when I'm speaking to you. Is it just me? Not be, Lauren doesn't say it because she's mean. She says it because I'm often a difficult person to have a full conversation with. Look at me when I'm speaking to you. God is still speaking. You know that God is still speaking. The bush is still burning, so to speak. 
And God wants you to look at him while he's speaking to you. Live mindful of the personal presence of God instead of complaining. Like, I don't have time to live like this. Well, you've got time to cuss someone out. You've got time to complain about your wife. You've got time to whinge about the situation. Like, if you've got time to complain about Joe Biden, you've got time to look at Jesus before or after you complain about him. You hear what I'm saying? It's all right to be like, oh, I like what he's doing. But I'm going to look at Jesus. I'm going to be mindful of, I'm going to be aware of him and his storm. But my attention is on Jesus. You know what I'm saying? If you've got time to complain, if you, you know, someone flies past you on the interstate, get that finger halfway up. No, wind it back down. Jesus. Thank you for patience, Lord. Come on now. Simply being mindful that he's there. If you do this, I believe you're going to fall so in love with the presence of God that you will say like Moses, I don't even want the milk and honey if you're not there with the milk and honey. Amen. I'd rather be here with this Chick-fil-A from heaven, this manna and this quail that we've been eating. I'm getting sick of it. But I'd rather keep eating that for the rest of my life with you than be over there with everything I've ever wanted but without you. You'll be like him, you say, I ain't going anywhere. I'm not going to the school if you don't come with me. I'm not going to the doctor if you don't come with me. I ain't even going to the office if you don't come with me. Lord, I will not go to work if your presence doesn't come with me. I will not go to the bank if your presence doesn't come with me. I won't go anywhere. I'm going to be driving the kids to school, looking at Jesus with my kids in the car. Amen. Before bed, I'm going to look at Jesus. I get cut off in traffic, I'm going to look at Jesus. Amen. I'm going to walk out of a meeting with Brad, the church finance guy. I'm going to be speaking in tongues, looking at Jesus. Come on now. By the way, he's a great finance guy. Good to have a church finance guy that has faith. Imagine having a church finance guy that's like, well, I don't know. I don't know if God can move there. (laughs) You know, I love having one that's like, yes, come on now. God is pouring out his favor. Let's believe for more. Amen. Let's believe for more. Hallelujah. On my way to see the school teacher because Henry punched some kid in the face. I'm thinking about Jesus. I am though. I'm not just joking. I am. I'm like, Lord. Even if it's just Jesus, even if it's just, I love you, Lord. Walk out of a meeting, I love you, Lord. I'm about to go into a difficult situation. God, would you be with me? I need your presence, God. Let me be aware of you in this meeting. I'm just being mindful of God's presence. I'm gonna start my day abiding in Jesus and I'll end my day abiding in Jesus and I'm gonna text him all day long. I'm not gonna live for the manifest. I'm not gonna live for the manifest I'm going to live for the personal. And because I live for the personal, I will see the manifest for the rest of my life. Has everyone got your communion cups in your hand? Awesome. If you don't have one, just stand up and yell out at the top of your voice, I didn't get one. Maybe don't do that, actually. Just put your hand up. That would be way easier be less weird for us all.
We got a hand over here, guys. Yeah, over here in the middle, down the back there. Just throw me mine, thanks. So if you're new here, um, we've got a bigger church and we don't want to have like just random cups open everywhere. We want to be a bit more hygienic. That's why we've got these. Um, but the way they work is you just whip that top layer of plastic off and then you can get your cracker. So you got a, there's a cracker on stage, you got a cracker in your hand, all right? And so, um, then you, I think you're allowed to say that, aren't you? About yourself. You know, like, I don't even know. I did grow up in a trailer park, so what more do you want from me, right? So, anyway. <laughs> so afterwards, someone tell me if that means something way worse than I think it means. It'd be helpful for me. Just grab me on my way out the door and be like, just so you know, that actually means something real bad, you know? As far as I'm aware, it means I'm white like this cracker. But anyway. <laughs> if you're new here, I got nothing else to add to that. <laughs> but, uh... Someone's like, did you feel that? The presence of God just left the place. <laughs> no, he's still here. Amen. But, um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion, and in this very corporate environment, we're going to take a moment to get very personal for you to look at Jesus. This is, the cracker represents the broken body of Jesus. The juice represents the spilled blood of Jesus. That without that, you could never have a personal relationship with God. Without this, you could never have, you, could, you would not get to live with Jesus in your heart like you get to now. So we're going to take a moment and thank you. We're also going to sing that song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. It says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. As we look in the eyes of Jesus, we want to keep walking on the water, not paying attention to the storm. Amen. And so we're going to sing that as we take communion. And some of you might need to walk down the front. You might be like, you know what? These legs have taken me a lot of places and they've been intentional about a lot of things. But today, you're going to be intentional and take me down the front to make a commitment to God that I'm not going to keep living for the manifestation of the presence of God. I'm going to live aware of His personal presence in my life from now on. Some of you just need to come down and do that. Some of you might need to repent and just say, God, I have been living where you live, but not with you. So you're welcome to come down the front in a moment and take communion down there. Whenever you're ready, we're not Catholic, so when you eat this, it does not become the body of Christ, and when you drink this, it does not become the blood. But what it does do is in you, when you eat this and when you drink this, it makes you more aware of the sacrifice that Christ did so that you could live continually aware of His presence in your life. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to MyEternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at MyEternityChurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.